And so uh, we're in Revelation chapter 3, starting in, in verse 14. These are the words of Jesus. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you that you have preserved for us uh, these words from our Savior, uh, written to this church so many years ago, and um, we pray that the same Spirit who inspired these words, that he would come now and, and teach them to us and apply them into our lives, and, and uh, Lord, we pray that we could respond by hearing these words and believing them and obeying them that the words would cut us and heal us, that the words would challenge us and comfort us. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you, and, and we long to hear from you, and may your Holy Spirit lead us to our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over the last uh, month, my, my family and I were on a, a three-week uh, uh, vacation where we were visiting friends and family uh, kind of all around uh, the Puget Sound. And a, a part of this vacation was that we went on a, a, a boat ride for my uh, sister-in-law's 50th birthday. And it was a boat that we spent about three hours uh, going around Gig Harbor and Tacoma. And at one point during this boat ride, I looked to the front of the boat and there was no one up there. And I thought, you know, I'm going to sneak up there and have a little nap. Um, and so I went up to the, the front of the boat and I was lying there for about 15 minutes. And then I opened my eyes and there was someone's face about two inches from my face. And it was my wife's Aunt Carolyn. And I was like, oh, Aunt Carolyn, where would you come from? And apparently she wanted to have a little chat. And um, Carolyn is a charming and really loving woman. And, you know, we've known each other uh, over the years, but we haven't had a lot of really deep conversations. Um, but over the past few years, she's had kind of a spiritual awakening. And so I asked her, I said, hey, tell me about your story. What's, what's happened over these last few years? And she said, well, when I was a kid, I became a Christian. I accepted Jesus into my heart at a camp. But all these decades have gone by, and he's really not played a very big role, central role in my life. But she had a, an aunt who was loved the Lord. And 
she loved this aunt, and this aunt would always welcome her into her house and, and would care for her. She was like a, a, a mom to her. And, uh, and so recently she went, went for a week visit to visit with this aunt, and they spent the week together, and the aunt would never really press her faith on Carolyn, um, but she knew that she was, she was very devout. And um, at the end of this visit, she was leaving, and the aunt came to give her a hug. And as she hugged her, she whispered into her ear, Jesus would like a closer walk with you. And uh, she never said anything like that to her. And as she was telling it, she said, you know, it was just, it was so kind. It was so genuine. And, uh, and yet it struck a very deep longing in her heart that she wanted that. And so she, it was a turning point for her. And she went and she joined a Bible study. She'd never been in a Bible study. She went and got a Bible. She never had a Bible. And then she had a friend who she'd been friends with for years and they'd never spoken a word about God or religion. She says to her friends, do you want to come to the Bible study with me? And her friend's like, yeah, I'll come. And so they came and it just struck me that phrase that her aunt said to her, Jesus would like a closer walk with you. Because it's so welcoming. I mean, that Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you and wants you. And yet, if you respond to that, it will change your life. And I think a statement kind of like that, except in stronger words, is present in this passage that we're studying today from Revelation 3. And uh, this letter to the church in Laodicea is uh, unique among the seven letters because in all the other letters, Jesus finds something good to say about the church that he's writing to. And it's in this one church that he doesn't have anything good to say about them. And so you might expect this to be the harshest and most severe of, of Jesus' letters. Uh, he does threaten at one point that, to, that he might spit out this pastor in his church. Uh, but in this same letter... We have one of the most beautiful offers of love in the whole Bible. And it's, it's a verse that has been quoted in sermons throughout church history. It's been a verse that has been a turning point for many people where they, gave, they accepted Christ into their lives when they heard this verse offered to them where Jesus says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. These beautiful words. Jesus says to this church that has nothing going right, I would like a closer walk with you. It's, that's the love of Christ. And, um, and so this morning, I'd, I'd like to talk about the love of Jesus, which is mysterious and surprising. It's incredibly deep. And in particular, I'd like to point out three things that we learn about the love of Jesus from the letter to Laodicea, and this is what they are. That the love of Jesus is for the humble. That the love of Jesus is kind and severe. And that the love of Jesus gives us dignity. Three things. That the love of Jesus is only for the humble. Only the humble can receive it. The love of Jesus is kind and severe and the love of Jesus gives us dignity. And I'd just say, personally, studying this passage, it, it's, the Lord really ministered to me, and, and my prayer is that there'd be something in here that would, would speak to you as well. So, three points this morning. The first is, the love of Jesus is for the humble. 
Only the humble can know the love of Christ. And, you know, Jesus says that in many places in his teaching that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. And in order to explain that, this passage uh, starts by talking about the opposite of what humility is. And it uses the opposite of humility, uses the word lukewarm. And uh, you see that there in verse 15. Where Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm. And to understand the humility that can receive the love of Jesus, we have to understand what does lukewarm mean? And also, what then is cold and hot? And, uh, and so I want to answer those questions for us. So, a couple questions. First, what is lukewarm? And Pastor Jonathan pointed out that we have to look at the context of this verse because Jesus himself explains to us what he means by being lukewarm. And you see it there in verse 17 where he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. To be lukewarm means that you're rich, that you've prospered, and you need nothing. It means to be, uh, have earthly wealth, and earthly wealth that causes you to say, I don't really need anyone. I'm sufficient for myself. I'm kind of independent. I'm all I need. I've got all I need. Which means that this is an important passage for us. You know, we live in the, the wealthiest society in the history of the world. And, you know, we have a lot of wealth in our church. And so being lukewarm is a real um, a temptation, potential temptation for us. And so the lukewarm believe in their hearts I don't really need God, I don't really need Jesus, I don't really need love, and I can take care of myself. It's this pride that is the opposite of being humble. And which means that you can be lukewarm even though your life is, is pretty filled with religious activity where you say, you know, I go to church and I tithe and I, I say my prayers and I do all these things. But the question is, do you need God? Do you, you know, when we come every week, we confess our sins. Do you have sins that need forgiveness? Do, do you need that every week? I, I, can't go, I can't not confess my sins. It's a daily part. I have so much need for Jesus. Or do you cast yourself on the promises of God? The promises of God are my only hope in life and death. Or you say, I really have no need for God. And so when Jesus says in verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What he's saying is, if you don't need me, then I'll leave you alone. Jesus says, I'm here to feed the hungry and to heal the broken and to cheer up the depressed and to forgive the sinful and to befriend the outcast. And if you aren't any of those things, I have nothing to offer you. And so let's not go on pretending like you need me if you don't need me. If you want to be self-sufficient, then you can have it your way and go live an independent life. And this is important because some of you, maybe you've read this passage before and you've read that Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And maybe you thought, you know, maybe he's saying if you don't do enough good works, it's like not good enough for him and now he's going to spit you out. That's the opposite of what he's saying. And I think that opens us to then ask the question, okay, what is lukewarm? Lukewarm means you're rich and I don't, have any need for God. So what is cold and hot? Well, first, cold means realizing that we are poor. 
Being cold means realizing that we're poor. And you see that there in verse 17, how Jesus says, For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Naked people are cold. And Jesus is basically saying, I wish you had nothing to offer me. I wish you were like a a prostitute or a leper or an outcast, someone that no one wants, and then you'd come and say, I have nowhere to go except for you. I wish you were like that. And throughout the Gospels, those are the kinds of people who come to Jesus and believe in him and trust in him. Those are the ones that Jesus opens his kingdom to and welcomes in. And, uh, you know, last year I was reading a, a book called uh, From Shame to Sin, which is, uh, talks about the, the transformation of, of sexual morality in the, in the late Roman Empire under the influence of Christianity. And in this book, one of the ways that this book tells the story of that cultural transformation is it looks at um, a genre of romantic literature in the ancient world. And in the earlier Roman period, this genre of romantic literature had a certain narrative arc to it. And the narrative arc was basically about a woman of status who is kidnapped and taken into a brothel. And there's the potential that her honor is going to be destroyed in this brothel. And so she has to find a way to escape the brothel, maintain her chastity, and then she's eventually joined to her true love who she's supposed to marry and then has a sexual union with. And in the uh, Roman Empire, the Roman Empire had a massive uh, uh, sex trade. And, you know, most women were used just to gratify the desires of men. And there was a smaller portion of women who did have status, and their job was to keep their chastity so that their honor in the society would be maintained. As Christians uh, began to have more cultural influence, they took this literary genre and turned it on, turned it on its head. And so that instead of the heroine being this woman of status who maintains her chastity, the new heroine was a prostitute and one who had, had been abused in many ways and who Jesus had come to and said, basically, I want a closer walk with you. I, I want you to be mine. And she passes through the waters of baptism and she's washed And she's joined to a new husband who knows her and cherishes her and loves her and speaks to her, who is Jesus himself, and her whole life is devoted to the Lord. And uh, eventually, because of her devotion, she becomes a martyr. And she now becomes the model for the whole Christian life. This narrative that's turned on its head becomes the, the model for what actually all Christians are supposed to be like. And when Jesus says, I wish you were cold, he is saying that is all how we all have to come to him is like that prostitute. That's all of us. Abandoned, you know, wretched. This is the language. uh, Poor, blind, helpless. Unless you understand your weakness, your blindness, your nakedness, Christianity will never make sense to you. The love of Jesus will mean nothing to you because the love of Jesus is only for those who've been deeply humbled. And, uh, and Jesus would rather you be naked and cold coming to him because that would be honest than lukewarm and self-assured. And so first, to be cold means to come to Jesus poor, to be blind, to be naked. But what does it then mean to be hot? He says, I wish you were cold or, or hot. Well, what does it mean to be hot? Well, To be hot means to be zealous for repentance. 
To be hot means to be zealous for repentance. And it was another thing that Aunt Carolyn said to me in my conversation with her. It was when she first started coming to these Bible studies and she'd hear Christians praying and, and they would always be praying that for God to do something in their life that they wanted changed in their life. And then it was in one of those meetings, it was like she was struck by the Holy Spirit but where she said, you know, I wonder if God wants me to do something. I mean, I've been kind of doing nothing for Jesus my whole life, maybe there's something that I need to do and to change. And it's true that even though we come to Jesus empty-handed and in need of him, there is something that he wants us to do. And you can see it in verse 19 there. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Being hot means being zealous to repent of sin. Now, it's true that repentance is a gift of grace. It's something that God does in us. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But I think that sometimes in the church, by putting so much emphasis on how God saves us and not us, we end up not talking the way the Bible talks, the way Jesus talks here. It says, be zealous and repent. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's my birthday tomorrow. And uh, I turned 41, and uh, my, my mom left, my, my family and I live with my mom, and she uh, left for a trip yesterday, so she had a card for me for my birthday, and my mom has this thing, she always writes a poem for someone's birthday, and so she had this card with a poem in it, and you all were mentioned in it, and I thought I'd read it to you, because uh, I, I was, it was struck me how she described you all. And I, let me just keep in mind, this is a mother encouraging her son in a letter, so bear with me. Okay, this is what she says. He's got a church and quite a pool of elders, deacons, and a school. It's quite a crowd he's gathered in, all so ready to confess their sin. I was like, that's how she described who we are, is we're a community of people Ready to, and she's like, yeah, everyone's always, you know, my mom became a Christian pretty late in life. She's like, yeah, everyone's always talking about their sin. That's who we're supposed to be. That's what Jesus wants from us, to be hot, is to be zealous to bring our sin out. Lord, I don't want the anger. Lord, I don't want the lust. You know, Lord, uh, Lord I don't want the greed. I, I, don't, I don't want this in my life. Take it out of my life. And we're constantly bringing it out to confess our sin before the Lord. And this is the cold and hot humility that can receive the love of Jesus. And our wealth has not reduced an ounce our desperate need for Christ to love and clothe and heal and wash and forgive us. Now when the humble come to Jesus though, what's that love gonna be like that they experience? And I'll tell you it's not um, an earthly Love. It's not like any love that you've experienced from anyone because it is, it's the Son of God himself. And so uh, that leads to our second point. So first, uh, the love of Jesus is for the humble. It's only for the humble. But second, the love of Jesus is kind and severe. The love of Jesus is kind and severe. And you might not want to hear that. But there's an important statement about the love of Jesus that we have to squarely face in this passage. And it's verse 19 again. I just read it, but hear it again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it in another place, 
Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. The love of Jesus is kind and severe. He both clothes us and forgives us and washes us. So there's this gentleness to Jesus, but he also reproves and disciplines us. And when I say those words, the love of Jesus is severe, how do you react to that? How do you honestly react to the love of Jesus is severe? I think many of us react, love is not severe. Maybe you say, I've experienced harshness in my life, and it wasn't love. And, you know, I've thought about this question. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, that, that doesn't sound like severity. That doesn't sound harsh. And Romans describes the objects of God's wrath as heartless and ruthless. Well, Jesus is absolutely not heartless or ruthless. But if we are deluded or selfish or proud or if we are hurting other people, what should the love of Jesus do? If we're deluded, selfish, proud, or hurting other people, what should the love of Jesus do? Love has to cut out the cancer. If you're a parent and you know your kid's got something in them that's hurting them, even if it's going to hurt them to get it out, you're going to get it out. Uh, And it's going to hurt, but he does it because he loves us. And the severity of Jesus will change us. There's a beautiful description of the transformation in this passage. You know, when, when we're wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked, what's he going to do to us? Well, verse 18 tells us, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The kind and severe love of Jesus is able to cover our shame and then also to teach us wisdom. You know, that's what the, the salve the, to, that causes us to see, that enables our eyes to see. It's to be understand what is good and evil. We don't understand what good and evil is in the world about ourselves or about other people. It's training us in wisdom. And I'll tell you why you need both the kind and severe love of Jesus is because, you know, the kind of shallow love that only says sweet things to you all the time will not give you what you need to follow Christ. I mean, the, the Christians in this passage are preparing for martyrdom. And you need a love robust enough to train you in courage and perseverance. And cotton candy love doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, if you receive my love, you'll feel warm and fuzzy all the time. Instead, this is what he says will happen if you receive his love. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This isn't love that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. This is love that prepares you to be a king or a queen in the kingdom of God and in the renewal of all things. This is a love that gives you wisdom to discern good and evil. Such good and evil, the Bible says that we're going to judge angels. That's the kind of work that God is doing us. And the key is the humble will hear the kindness and severity of Jesus and say, I trust you. You know what it means to trust someone? It means you let them in. You tell them your secrets. 
You give them access to you. And I think that's the final point that we learn about the love of Jesus in this passage. So first, the love of Jesus is only for the humble. And when we encounter it, we must be prepared that the love of Jesus is kind and severe. But the last thing is that the love of Jesus gives us dignity. And you know, I mentioned earlier in this sermon that uh, Jesus wishes that we were cold. That is, that we, were, we would realize that we're wretched and we're blind and we're pitiable and we're poor and naked, that we come to him as needy beggars. And when some of you hear that, you might think, you know, that's how pastors are talking all the time about how bad we are. And, you know, we're so wretched and so pitiable and so sinful when we come to him. But some of you might say, I want to love Jesus. I want to contribute something to him. I have gifts. And if I'm always groveling about how bad I am, I'm never going to offer something meaningful. Where is the dignity of my life in honoring God and doing good? Well, I think this passage answers that question in an interesting way. Because those great words from our Lord in verse 20, hear them again. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus says, I want to eat with you. And one of the things, ways that as a church we've talked about the love of Christ is we've talked about hospitality, how the gospel is an act of God's hospitality. He brings all these strangers to his table. And then our hope is that that love would change us into people who we invite others into our lives and into our homes and into our tables. But, you know, there's been one thing that's always been unsettling to me about that is that when you go and read the gospels and read about the life of Jesus, Jesus does not show hospitality to people. I'm not sure there's an account of Jesus welcoming someone into his house. And you know why that is? He didn't have a house. (laughs) He was homeless. And uh, Jesus eats with all kinds of people. He eats with Pharisees and, and, uh, and tax collectors and disciples and all kinds of people, but they always invite him to their house. He comes to their house. And there's a great story of Zacchaeus who is the tax collector. He was ruthless and he was brutal and he he repents and he realizes how terrible I've been. He says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says to him, what? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You're going to feed me. And I picture Zacchaeus in his house and, okay, Jesus, you sit here and make yourself at home and I'm going to make this meal for you that I like. And and he's going to use his gifts and he's going to serve Jesus. And he's going to care for him. And I think it's an amazing thing. It's one thing to think, oh, Jesus has the, this great kingdom that he's going to welcome us all into the, the, his father's mansion. And we're going to have a place there. Great. He welcomes us into his house. But actually the gospel is filled with that we welcome Jesus into our homes. And he came into the houses of prostitutes, into the poor. He came to the houses of lepers and the broken. And he wasn't ashamed to eat with them. And he says, yes, your gifts matter. Because I gave you those gifts to use them. And by the way, some of you might say, well, how do I invite Jesus into my house now? Like, can I really do that? Well, Jesus told us that when the outcasts or anyone who's alone or rejected by the world, that you invite them into your life, you are inviting him in. You've done this for me, he says. And what I hope we all see in this passage is it's not enough to say Jesus just loves you no matter what. That's true, but the love of Jesus and God's word has far more texture and depth than that. If you know today that you are lukewarm, I don't really need God. The love of Jesus says, realize that you are actually blind and naked and wretched. 
the love of Jesus is only for the humble. But face the truth that his love is kind and severe, the only way true love can be. But it's a kindness and severity that has the power to bestow on you profound dignity. It has the power to prepare you to conquer in this life and to sit on the throne with him in the age to come. Friends, Jesus would like a closer walk with you. He stands at the door and knocks. If you will hear his voice and open yourself to him, he will come in and eat with you. And you will taste of the love that made the world and the love that will also save it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for these words. We thank you that uh, it is love that has come down to us from heaven in the Son of God. And Lord, we know that you know each soul present here. Lord, you know the ways that each of us are poor and blind and naked and wretched. And Lord, uh, that we come to you empty-handed and we thank you that you receive us. You give us eyes to see. You give us true wealth. You clothe our shame. And Lord, um, I pray for those here that may sense that Jesus is knocking eager to come into their life, either eager for a closer walk with them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the door in their hearts, that Christ may come in. Lord, uh, we're so grateful that your word is a word of love. We long for it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.